You are listening to the Speak Podcast. The podcast featuring talks from Speak, a public speaking platform for people with ideas and stories. Produced by Launchpad 516 Studios. Welcome to the Speak Podcast, produced by Launchpad 516 Studios. New episodes available every week on all your favorite podcast platforms. Speak is a public speaking platform for people with ideas and stories. Each Speak Talk features three key moments. The moment of truth, the moment of transformation, and the moment of impact. We host pop-up events all over the world, and now we are bringing our talks to your device. Our speakers are stepping onto the stage and into the spotlight, and now onto this podcast. Welcome to the show. Welcome to another episode of the Speak Podcast. I'm your host for today's episode, George Andriopoulos, the architect and one of the co-leaders here at Speak. Today's micro theme is home. You know, we've had quite a few of our pop-up events to date. It has been so interesting to really dive into a lot of the themes that we've had for these pop-up events and to notice how many little clustered micro themes there are within the 10 talks that come up on stage. And when we look at the spectrum of events that we've hosted so far and sort of put them all into one pile, we've noticed that it has been really easy to sort of group these talks outside of their own events and into these episodes into these micro themes. And so today we are diving into the micro theme of home and we hope you enjoy this episode. Our first talk comes from published speaker Monica Harris from our Speak Beginnings pop-up event on November 17th, 2022 at stage 317. This talk was incredibly powerful. I remember looking over at the audience during this talk just to see the emotion that overcame them in this raw and powerful talk. I don't want to give away too much before the talk, so let's just dive in. Again, here is Monica Harris with her Speak Talk, Finding Our Way Back to Forgiveness. Growing up in uh, California in the 70s and 80s, I could never forget that I was black. I was eight years old when a boy in my class called me the N-word. I had no idea what it meant. My parents had to explain it to me. When I was in seventh grade, my parents borrowed money to send me to a prep school where kids from well-to-do families didn't use that kind of language. Instead, they called me spear chucker. I grew up with the agony of always feeling less than. Less than white girls with straight hair and skinny legs who treated me like I didn't exist. Less than classmates who danced to private clubs that black kids weren't allowed to attend. Less than peers who got good grades without being accused of plagiarism. Even when I graduated from Harvard Law School, yeah, shout out for Harvard. (laughs) 
I watched colleagues with less experience pass me on the corporate ladder. <sighs> these, are, these are experiences that leave a profound impact on the psyche because you're always reminded that no matter how hard you work or how educated you are, you'll never really belong. You'll, you'll never live the kind of life that other people lead. Not because of anything you've done wrong, but because there's something about, the, about you that you just can't change. And I can't emphasize how hard it is to live this way without feeling bitter and resentful, without feeling insecure and struggling to maintain a sense of con confidence. It's, it's hard not to carry anger that can burn with, within you with the intensity of a bonfire. And that's the world that I've lived in for most of my life. But I've also seen a different world, one, one we don't talk about as much, one that didn't exist when I was a kid. It's a world where my 13-year-old son can attend a school that's almost entirely white and be seen as a leader, not a leper. It's a world where I no longer constantly worry that the color of my skin will keep me from getting a job I'm qualified for and might even work to my advantage. Let's be honest. It's a world where I've been able to craft a rich and rewarding life with a soulmate who's never felt less than because of the color of her skin, because she's white. Is there discrimination in this world? Yes. Is a playing field completely level? No. But it's a world that I'm grateful my son lives in. And it's a world that I so wished that I could have lived in when I was little. Yet it's also a world that so many people can't see now because they're so focused on our differences, right? Everywhere we turn, it seems people are going out of their way to separate themselves from each other, whether it's based on um, the science they believe in, or their politics, or their pronouns. We all want to be different. The problem with celebrating our differences, though, is it's led to this unintended consequence. It's drawn us into a culture of outrage. You cancel people who don't share our values, who behave the wrong way, who say the wrong thing. What it's done is it's, it's bred this hatred that keeps us from doing what we all desperately need to do to heal not just ourselves, but our country. It's keeping us from giving grace. Now, when we hear the word grace, it's tempting to think that it has some religious connotation, but no matter who or what we believe in, we are all capable of grace. Grace, at its core, is empathy. It is an acknowledgment that regardless of our individual journeys, we are all human beings. 
We are all flawed, some of us in ways that are more obvious than others. What that means is there's some good in the worst of us, and there's some evil in the best of us. Grace means being willing to give people the benefit of the doubt when they fall short, because at some point in our lives, we've all fallen short, right? But the highest form of grace that we can give is forgiveness. That's the space to, to fumble and to recover because all of us have fumbled and we've been grateful for the chance to make things right. Forgiveness doesn't mean forgetting all the wrongs people have done to us or ignoring all the work they have yet to do. We can, we can still demand justice when we see it denied. Forgiveness isn't a sign of weakness or absolution for people who don't deserve it. It's the hope we give them that they can become better versions of themselves. But most importantly, forgiveness isn't a gift we give to other people. It is a gift we give to ourselves to reclaim our joy and to give us the space that we need to heal. Right now, it seems so many Americans think that forgiveness is impossible, that the people who've wronged us in the past are irredeemable, that our, our wounds are just too deep. What they forget is that even people who've suffered the deepest wounds have still managed to forgive. Forgiveness is why Nelson Mandela could walk out of his jail cell without any anger or bitterness after being in prison for 27 years. Forgiveness is why black South Africans who endured decades of systemic racism were able to take control of their government without exacting retribution or revenge on the people who oppressed them. Now think about what that means. The victims of a government that practiced the most ugly and violent form of discrimination still manage to forgive the people who abused them. If they could find it in their hearts to find grace, can't we do the same? I didn't realize that I was capable of grace myself until a few years ago when I attended my high school reunion. It was the first time I brought my partner in. She she was bewildered. She was like, I can't believe that a black woman would want to reconnect with the people who excluded her after having all these horrible childhood memories. It made no sense. She said, these don't sound like the people you described to me. I mean, they adore you. And she's right. Anyone watching me interact with the people, my former classmates would have no idea what I experienced all those years ago. But when we were driving home, it hit me. I suddenly understood why I was able to reconnect with the people I'd spent years resenting. It was because I'd allowed myself to give them grace. Every reunion seems to bring us a little closer to each other. We laugh. We exchange hugs, we snap photos, and 
We chat for hours late into the night. We share career frustrations. and We joke that we're turning into our parents. We agree our lives haven't turned out exactly as we'd expected or as we'd hoped. We lament the wrinkles around our eyes and bodies that don't seem to work the way they used to and the dawning awareness of our own mortality. We're not as different from each other as we used to be. The girls who sported perfect bodies, they have thicker legs and wider hips like me. <laughs> the, jack, the jocks with ex have expanding waistlines and gray hair or no hair at all. Life has changed us in other ways too. The kids who used to look down at me, their noses at me, now engage in these passionate discussions about social responsibility. Like me, they're concerned, they're worried about the slow motion collapse of our country, the rampant division, the gaping class divide. Like me, they're trying to raise kids to be better people. And seeing how they've grown has allowed me to do something I never would have thought I could have done when I was a child. Forgive them for the people they used to be, but aren't anymore. I've given them the space to become better people, and they have. I've allowed myself to look beyond our past differences and to see us all as human beings on the same journey. Because what separated us when we were kids has taken a back seat to those common threads that weave our lives together now. We're all dealing with the same stuff now. The stuff that makes us human. So, how do we find it, the space in our hearts to forgive? How do we heal from the wrongs others have done to us and the pain they've inflicted? It starts when we allow ourselves to see that the people we resent might not be as different from us as we think. A few weeks after my last reunion, I got a Facebook friend request from someone I hadn't seen or thought of in years. It was, it was Chris, one of the boys who called me spirit chucker in seventh grade. He was a, like me, middle-aged, his face was fighting gravity, and he was married and living with his family in the LA suburbs. As I scrolled through his profile, I saw pictures he'd posted of his eight-year-old son with his friends on Halloween. And half of these kids were children of color. And as I looked a little closer, I saw his son was holding hands with a black girl. And they were both grinning from ear to ear. And I accepted his friend request.
Thank you. What an incredibly powerful and moving talk. Monica came to us from our channel partner, The Big Talk with Trisha Brooks, and we thank Trisha for sending Monica over to us. I know it was a little bit of a stretch to put this talk into the quote-unquote home theme, but what we talked about at this event and how Monica told this story really ties back to the idea of forgiveness, but it goes back to home and to where she grew up and the people that she grew up with and to be able to give grace and forgiveness to those people in going back home after a life's journey. It was just so powerful to us, and so we decided to include this into the home episode. You can check out Monica's talk on our YouTube channel. Check out the show notes attached and find the YouTube talk on the Speak Beginnings playlist. To introduce our next talk is the producer from Speak Homecoming, Cheryl West Leong. Hello, I'm Cheryl West Leong, producer of Speak Homecoming. Our next published speaker is DR Hansen. I grew up with DR in my most formative years in Carrollton, Texas, of all places. Our contact has been sporadic at best as time has passed, but one thing that has always brought us back together is the stage. Whether it was a show to go see or a new creative medium that one of us had heard about, when I pitched the idea to DR of being a speaker for the first time, he said yes without hesitation. By the end of this talk, you'll hear why the audience said thank you without hesitation. A speaker was born from Speak Homecoming, recorded on March 30th, 2023 at the K Plaza Arts Center in Carrollton, Texas. Here's why I never wanted a home. I've never had a home. Houses I've had. Oh, have I had houses. My mom was in the Navy, so those houses were all over the world. Hawaii, California, Guam. Even as an adult, the houses I had kept moving, from Carrollton to San Francisco to New York City. I think it's important that we make this distinction, the house versus the home, because while I had all these houses and all these cities, and none of them did I ever feel a sense of home. I think that's because my earliest houses, the ones many would consider a home, did not represent me, they did not comfort me, they did not affirm me. The people I shared these spaces with seemed like aliens. Everything around me felt foreign, the decor, the customs, the history, the ancestors. I essentially grew up a stranger in a strange land. This taught me how to blend in anywhere, a talent I was grateful for with each move. If I was no one, I could become anyone. Living like this became normal. Being a stranger became normal. Even when I met my now husband and we started sharing houses together, the idea of home was still absent. He too moved around a lot as a child. It's a shared experience that colors our life together. Queer people are very familiar with the idea of chosen family, that we get to choose our family. Sometimes we have to choose our family. But we never discuss where that family dwells. Is it a house or a home? Or is it something new we get to create? You see, I believe queer people are immigrants, but immigrants without a homeland, without a language, without a history. Right now in Texas, in this state, there are 78 bills and counting being presented to the Texas Congress that continue to other me, my husband, 
and my chosen family. These bills refuse to acknowledge the contributions that we've made to this country, to the state, to the society. These bills pervert language into shackles meant to immobilize us. These bills force us to flee the Lone Star State for a not-so-lonely land. Queer people are born into a world that is not of them, given language and tools that are not of them, and expected to walk a path that is not of them. And when we dare to deviate, we're labeled freak, groomer, pinned down in a locker room and mocked, prayed over for a deliverance we do not need to a God who says we are an abomination. Guess who's doing this bullying? People from loving homes. Why would I want that? Why would I embrace something that never embraced me? Why would any queer person ever want a home? Well, my husband did, and he gave me this gift of betrayal one day over a lunch of poke. <laughs> he nervously tells me that he has set aside $10,000 in a separate account for a down payment on a house. Most people would be ecstatic that a pathway to the North American dream lay before them. Me? I'm not most people. And while I did... And while I did see that pathway, I also saw a decision made without me and a secret account with a ton of money that I did not have access to. <laughs> Setting aside the dramatic language and the ego revealed an invitation to discuss what success means to us as individuals and as a couple. As we explored buying a house, it became evident that for my husband, a house represented safety and security. This fictional structure to him was a, a goal he'd been striving toward for years, unconsciously. He actually wanted that North American dream. While we shared a similar upbringing of ever-changing addresses and a rootless existence, I realized we were on two different paths, walking next to each other hand in hand, and now there was a fork in that road. His nomadic childhood was leading him to set down roots. My path was still undefined. I was learning that a house was never on my life plan. My only dream growing up was to live in New York City. And owning anything in that city is a pipe dream accessible to a select few. I had resigned the suburban life before the 12th grade, and now in my 39th grade, the suburban life was <laughs> knocking on my door. I was ambivalent to that knock. On the one hand, this was very important to my husband. On the other hand, I was neutral about the whole thing, really. It was something I never thought was possible, so I had no desire either way. And that's where it got interesting for me. Why? Outside of the New York reasoning, why did owning a home never make its way into my dreams? Considering this Norman Rockwell image is injected into every movie, every sitcom, every ad, wouldn't it go to reason that a walk-in closet would eventually make it to my vision board? <laughs> but it never did. While my husband was discovering one of his dreams, I was wrestling with one of my nightmares. Is the idea of home accessible for queer people? Is it accessible for this queer person? Am I now betraying my husband by admitting I never wanted a home? 
these questions and their potential answers swirl around in my head like a cyclone, kicking up tumbleweeds of insecurity and doubt and... Then I look over and I catch my husband smiling at the anticipation of achieving his dream. A smile I love so much, especially when it follows one of my jokes <laughs> or one of my sweet sentiments. What sweeter sentiment is there than to quiet my nightmare and walk with my husband toward his dream? The answer, we find a house. It's a lot of house for two people buying their first. Four bedroom, three and a half bath, a den, a kitchen, a living room, a dining room, and a yet to be defined room. We walk the space and he's as giddy as a schoolboy. He tries to invite me into his joy saying things like, this could be your library. You could paint a mural here. It's cute, him giving me homework for a class I never registered for. <laughs> Spoiler alert, we buy the house. So the deed is done, literally. And the first thing I do, I get eight lipsticks and I start to paint that pig. I find paints that mirror the original queer flag, the one created by Gilbert Baker in 1978. This flag has teal and pink in it, two extra colors in the flag that traditionally adorns businesses every June. Curious how they disappear after 30 days, but I digress, I digress into a kaleidoscope of color. And each of these colors have a meaning, so I intentionally choose a color to best fit the room. Our library will be green, the color of nature. It overlooks a field of grass, the closest thing Dallas has to nature. <laughs> My studio will be teal, the color of magic, where I will write and create and meditate. My husband's office will be blue, the color of tranquility, because between you and me, he could use some. Our bedroom will be pink, the color of sex, for obvious reasons. Our guest room will also be pink, uh, a different shade, mind you, uh, because I hope that anyone who stays with us gets lucky. Our den, red, the color of life, because we watch more film and television than I'd like to admit. Our kitchen, orange, the color of healing, so that what is made there will nourish and heal our minds and bodies. Our living room and dining room, yellow, the color of sunlight, which is appropriate as those rooms abound with windows. I am beginning to build my home. I am cobbling together something for my queer siblings who, like me, may not feel they have a land to come home to. I'm deprogramming the North American dream by replacing that white picket fence with a rainbow flag. I transform the 2.5 children around the dinner table into two dozen deviants raising glasses of wine and whiskey to equality and equity. I transform that dog into two cats. That's it, no statement. Cats are just easier to take care of. I am no longer quieting my nightmare but I am waking up to the reality that I will do what my queer ancestors have done before me. I will build what I need to survive. I will build what I want to thrive. Discarding societal norms that do not serve me, I will pave a path for my people to find a home to rest and revel in before they do what I am doing, build their own. My husband found his dream home and I am building my home into my very own dream.
Thank you again, DR, for giving such an incredible talk. I was lucky enough to be in the audience in Carrollton, Texas for DR's talk at Speak Homecoming, and the room was just so electric during his talk. It was just such a, a confident retelling of this idea of home to DR. And so coupled with the fact that the theme for that pop-up event was homecoming, we knew that DR would fit into this episode perfectly. So we thank you, DR Hansen, for this incredible talk, and we thank you, Cheryl, for producing such an incredible event. Our final talk from this episode comes from our first triple threat ever. I want to talk about this for just a moment. This talk comes from Meredith Grundy, who spoke at Speak Beginnings on November 17th, 2022 at Stage 317 at 317 Main in Farmingdale, New York, with her talk, Adulting. Now, why is Meredith a triple threat? Shortly after becoming a speaker, Meredith signed on through her company Grundy Coaching as a channel partner with us. And our channel partners, of course, they are how we source our incredible speakers, or most of them at least. Recently, Meredith signed on to actually produce her first pop-up event. And so I'm not sure if this event will have happened by the time this episode airs, but October 25th, happening in New York City, Meredith is going to be producing Speak Shelter, and we are so excited for that. But first, let's dive into Meredith's talk, Adulting, from Speak Beginnings, November 17th. I have always been afraid of adulting. And then I met her, the house. She was beautiful. I was with my boyfriend, my now husband at the time when I first saw her, and I looked at her and I said to him, that's our future, baby. And then he looked at me and agreed and then said, but we can't afford that. Why, I asked. Is it because we're two starving artists who don't deserve to have a mortgage? You see, I have always lived by the mantra, take leaps of faith. I also love those wise words of Tina Fey, say yes, and then figure out the rest later. So when I heard we can't afford that, those words did not register with this young idealist. Now, I, wanna, I just want to pause for a second from telling this story because I want to acknowledge that I do get the extreme privilege that this story is coming from, and I don't at all take that for granted. I unpause. She was a beautiful Victorian home right outside of Boulder, Colorado in this town called Lafayette. She was yellow with a green door and a red roof. And in the back, there was a perfect place for a garden. There was a garage for a car and an addition to the garage that was perfect for my boyfriend's music studio. And the best part was just to the west of this beautiful Victorian house was property that was attached and belonged to it. A lot of land that had these three huge, beautiful oak trees. Two of them were close enough to hang a hammock. And did I mention it had a white picket fence? So true. 
It was 2007. So it was a buyer's market. Do you like that? Buyer's market? Those are some adulting words, aren't they? So we could afford it. So we ended up buying this beautiful Victorian house. And we started to build a life together. And as time passed, we started to create memories. We got married in that yard with the three large oak trees. We built a stage. We would invite people over for parties and we'd sing karaoke late into the night. Our neighbors loved us. And when we adopted our new baby girl, we had a blessing in that yard. For those of you who may or may not know about the adoption process, it can be costly and it can take a long time. And when we adopted our new baby girl, it ended up costing us close to $60,000 when it was said and done. So there we were, two freelance artists with a mortgage and $60,000 in debt and student loans and bills and car payments and all of the things. There we were standing at the intersection of filing for bankruptcy unless we figured out something, a solution, and fast. What ultimately ended up happening was we sold that property next to our house, and sadly, a duplex was built there where the trees once stood one of which I was able to save. And instead of having nights of karaoke and weddings and blessings and dinners, we stared at loose tires and tarps and fake flowers in the front lawn and a screaming neighbor in the back. But what it did do was it afforded us freedom and it helped me see that I was ignoring my finances. So we start to get our lives back together. We start to create new memories and new dreams and everything is going well. And then my fun, conservative father, who I loved with all of my heart, who would talk about politics and finances and long-term investing, you know, all the adulting things, passed away suddenly and without warning. 
Now, you have to understand that I was very close to my father. I loved my father, and he was the fun. He was the glue that kept our family together. He brought just the right amount of controversy to every holiday dinner that made them, yes, entertaining and a little bit edgy. And I always loved that. His death jolted me even further away from a conventional lifestyle and into a 40-foot RV that we funded by taking out a home equity line of credit, another adulting word, out on our home. Because my husband and I both knew that there was more living to be done and that our family no longer fit in Lafayette, in this beautiful yellow home that was once owned by Mayor Lopez, who also used that yard as a place where he'd gather the neighbors every Sunday for a pancake breakfast. And before Mayor Lopez owned that home, the Arapaho tribe would come to Lafayette to seek shelter from the snow in the winter under those trees. But we, our family, we didn't fit there anymore. So we rented it out on Airbnb. We hopped into this 40-foot RV with a dog and a cat, and we set across the south of the US and then dropped into Mexico where we were freelancing, remote giggers, if you will, and we were making it work. And this house was gifting us again another freedom. It was because of that trip, which that journey was incredible and is an entire story for another time, that we made the decision to move to New York City. And so we rented out the Mayor Lopez house full time. We sold the RV and we hopped into a U-Haul with my daughter, my husband, the dog, and the cat. And what was beautiful about this is all we had to do was tell a couple of friends that we were moving to New York City, and before we knew it, we were signing a lease, moving across country to a neighborhood and to an apartment that we had only seen in pictures. That single decision to buy that house provided me and my family the gift of failure, fortune, community, and new beginnings. And today, she sits empty, waiting for a new family to live in her home. And I can't help but wonder what lessons she will teach them about adulting. Thank you.
Thank you, Meredith, for that really incredible talk. Adulting was a theme that covered so many different avenues. And for me, as a person that was just sitting in the audience listening to this talk, I just thought it was such a perfect example of what we strive for here at Speak, what we want these talks to sound like, the quirkiness of them, the heart that comes from these talks, and just the real honest journey that comes from these stories that are being told. So thank you so much, Meredith. We can't wait to continue working with you on the platform as our first triple threat. That will do it for this week's episode of the Speak Podcast. We thank you all for joining us. And remember, one microphone, one stage, one spotlight. It makes all the difference in the world. We'll see you next time, guys. Speak Podcast is brought to you by Launchpad 516 Studios, executive produced by Fred P. Banning, Jason Martin, and George Andriopoulos. Our theme song, Champions Day, is by Lupus Nocti. Incidental music, Melting Places, is by Andreas Kantu. Music and sound effects licensed through Epidemic Sound. The Speak Podcast is hosted with Podbean. Make sure to subscribe to this feed wherever podcasts are available and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts while you're at it. Follow Speak at Speak underscore event on Twitter and at Speak event on all other social media platforms. Visit our website, speakevent.com, for upcoming events, channel partner, sponsorship, and Speak at Work opportunities. And follow all the great podcasts produced by Lunchpad 516 Studios.